Good morning. I'm going to be reading from First uh, John 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, your love is indeed extravagant. I don't think words, it's even possible with words to describe the full measure of your love shown in Christ. But we try, Father, we try to honor you with our words. We try to have our words be truthful, words that stir up affections and hearts, words that speak true things about Christ. And so I pray, Father, that During these next few moments, during this message, that we would understand a little bit about your love. What is this love that you showed? It's impossible to exhaust, Lord, but it's a glorious thing to think about. And we pray, Father, that as we think of that love, as we ponder it, as we enjoy it, it'll spur us on to loving others and meet the goal, the end for what your love is in our lives. So I pray, Father, now in the power of your Spirit, you would come and be powerful, be powerful in our hearts, that we would be receptive to any truth that's spoken here. Root out all evil from my heart. Set aside all false statements, exaggerations. And I pray, Father, that what would be left would be something that would be honoring to you and truthful and stirring of our hearts and minds. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 to 31 says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you think about just those three items, or the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption, in just two short verses, we see an indication of the mighty love of God. It was by his doing that these things came into our lives, that we possessed them by Christ. So I just wanted to open there to show that while we're in First John and we're in the major topic or a major topic in First John is love and the love of God. Certainly, the love of God is shown condensed in many portions. That's just one. Well, we've been, if you've been following us through First John, you know we've been repeating many themes. Um, love, we discussed early on the deity of Jesus. We have discussed the concept of abiding in God, remaining in Him. If we remember... 1 John was written to counter false teachers. False teachers who were spreading lies and falsehoods about Christ, about his person, about what he did. They were even contending you could be perfect in this life. So can you, you can imagine maybe the unsettledness of those early believers. Do I really know God? These teachers are saying one thing, but I heard something far different at a different time. John taught them, and he's teaching us now through 1 John, that we can know, we can know God. We can know that we do know God and that we are in him by a couple of things, by our allegiance to Christ. What does that mean? Are we believing right now? Are we trusting Christ alone? for our sins, for forgiveness? Is he our only hope for heaven? That means allegiance to Christ and all the truths of his Godhead. The second thing is that will assure our hearts by the Spirit is, are we loving people? Are we loving people? These early believers were unsettled in some sense. Are we loving them? So what is this love? What is this love? that God showed to us? What does it imply for our lives today? If you've noticed, um, and it's been somewhat challenging to me, as you read through First John, there's many of these absolute contrasts. You're either in God or you are not. You're either abiding in his love or you're not. Loving and hating, these absolute contrasts. That shouldn't be unnerving to us, but I suppose it could if we are placing ourselves um, in a position of thinking we have to be perfect. But we can't hide the point that Christianity makes exclusive claims on those who would call themselves Christian. Jesus said he's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So I believe John needed to go and to show these absolute contrasts. Apparently these false teachers were having quite a day disturbing believers. So while noting these contrasts, please note this and don't despair. It takes a mustard seed of faith, doesn't it? Faith of a child to be saved. Don't have to know all of these things we'll talk about to be saved. A lot of fine points, a lot of details. So when you hear you're either abiding or you're not, Think, yes, there, is, there are absolute claims, and maybe I should 
Think hard about what my life is like, but don't be despairing. God planted that seed, that initial seed of faith in your heart. He planted it there. And yes, all of us want this seed to grow, don't we? But it's there, and it's precious because God put it there. That's a take from Charles Spurgeon, who was dealing with um, people who were despairing of their faith. He says, God takes a keen interest in that faith. So yes, we must abide in God. We must further fan this love. But just remember, if you are believing, you're precious to the Father. So simply think and pray over the next minutes. Should I be called to something else? A different understanding of love, perhaps. And more significant action. So the title of this message is God is Love and His Love's Consequences. So I hope to deal with this topic in, in two, sec- two sections. The first section is, what is love? What is God's love? Those two um, particulars. I apologize for not having PowerPoints. So if you're note-takers, be a good time to take notes or not. It's fine. I hope that as we uh, move on to the second concept, where we have known now what the love of God is in some measure, some small measure, it will now spur us on to take that love, that seed that's been planted in our hearts, and now move out and to love others. Because I think that's what this passage is telling us in a significant regard. Those who are loved by God, who understand this love, who are born of God, will love. So the first section, the first section we'll go through, will be dealing what is love. The second concept, the second section is, what effects does this love have on our lives? So first, what is God's love and how is it primarily shown? And how might an understanding of this love influence our lives? I don't intend, and I suspect that most of you here have done any study on the concept of love. There's different Greek words and different Hebrew words that um, give rise to various meanings for our one English word. I don't intend on going into that. We could. But I'm really hoping to just speak in a common sense way. Something I suspect that you all intuitively know about this love. We can't exhaust it. We'll never exhaust it. But I'm just going to make a suggestion at some point of a way, as you hear the word love over the next minutes, something you can wrap your mind and hearts around. Mark 12, 30-31 is a verse I'd like to start with. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Again, a very common and familiar passage. I see a, a few characteristics of this love with which we're supposed to love God. There is a knowledge, loving God, with all of our minds. We must know this God that we're called to love. And you would say we must know each other, take time to know each other. So knowing with all our minds. And then there's this warmth, knowing with all of our heart, a deep warmth and affection. Again, these are things that are probably just common sense. You know this. And then there's this intensity, the repeated use of the word all. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is what God is calling us to love to. I feel very helpless when I think about this kind of love. 
knowing the lack of love and lack of care I show. I suggest that these characteristics, in some sense, characterize God's love in sending Christ. Certainly there was an intensity, there was a foreknowledge of us all, there was a warmth and dearness in God's heart in sending Christ. One of the lexicons I consulted describes love as the quality of warm regard for an interest in another. And Jonathan Edwards writes in Charity and Its Fruits, it is the disposition where a person regards another person as dear to themselves. Now, I could be wrong. I, I don't, um, you forgive me, but I don't remember if um, the previous messages, and I don't even know if John, 1 John, discusses some of these characteristics. We have to kind of, makes it explicit. Um, I'll have to go back and listen to and read some of the manuscripts. But I thought it would be useful to think, what is this, what is the characteristic of this love? This is not to exclude some of the other characteristics we know from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not trying to make an all-encompassing definition of love. But if you think through the Lord's Supper that we just went through, and whatever God was stirring in your minds, thinking of your sin being paid for, the corruption that you know so easily rises in you, and thinking of it being punished on Christ... And you say, how can it be? How can that be? Maybe you'll get a sense that there had to be a warm and loving and indeed, yes, wrathful God that chose me and chose everyone here who is now trusting Christ. He wasn't indifferent to us. He didn't look at us like just mere objects. In Christ, he showed intense warmth and concern for us. So as you're hearing the word love, think of this intense, warm regard and being truly dear to God and to other people. I mean, I think we all know the feeling. I mean, I've, I've often used the example, I'll be sitting in, the, in the, my favorite chair over there where Bryn is sitting, and someone will come by and just touch me on the shoulder. Sometimes it's been Buster. And I really appreciate that. I feel God loving me. I feel a dearness. Maybe something minor to some of you, but I feel that warmth, the dearness of a touch, of just a kind word. And then we think of God. We think of his love for us shown in Christ. We're going to get to a specific verse where he shows that. But I'm just going to suggest that a component of this love for God, love that God showed us and for each other, is a real warmth and a dear dearness not like robots. We don't treat each other like robots. There is a closeness and a dearness that we must show. It's very humbling. Again, um, I don't see myself in a lot of this. So I hope to grow through this as well. A question might arise. When we don't have warm regard for someone, do, do we still have to meet their needs? It's a question that came up in my mind. Do I have to feel like going over and helping that person move? or do whatever. The only thing I can say is that I don't think um, love is made up of only acts. I think the concept of love is made up of the heart, 
I think we know that from Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. I don't think it's merely, I grit my teeth and do it. Oh, I should go. I should go and help if someone calls. And I should plead with God. I heard John Piper say, he's pleading with God that on a Sunday night when he gets called to go to the hospital, and he really didn't want to go, he pleads with the right heart to get there. Because there's someone there that wants to feel warmth and closeness. So all I would say is, if you don't feel like it, just plead with God. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. I don't feel the intensity and the love for you all that I should. I don't view you in dear and kind ways to the extent that I should. But we're here. We're forgiven by the blood. So knowing that while we were yet sinners, and what? Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, wretched sinners, idolaters, Christ poured his affection, poured out his life for us. Perhaps that passage from Roman 5 will be something to help us. Second part of this concept. So that briefly, very briefly, is what is God's love? What is love? How was this love shown? 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. By this the love of God would manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I imagine there was a lot of mixture, perhaps, God sending his beloved Son, his one and only Son, to die for God-haters and sinners, like all of us once were. And yet, I believe there was warmth, there was care, there was a closeness that he viewed in Christ. He showed us his love and gave us life by sending his Son into the world. We receive a life full of purpose and joy since God initiated it. He initiated this change in us. Having life, having eternal life, it's been a common theme here in First John. Those who are in Christ have eternal life now. There is a sense where we have eternal life now. That life, that purposeful life, can only be given by Almighty God. How else can we find purpose? How else would we, be, we would say, what am I saved to? For what purpose? Well, we know from First John we're saved... Well, we know from the Bible we're saved to the glory of God, but it's specifically here we're saved to make him known, to love others. So he showed his love, this intense warmth and kindness, and sending his son. And then what do we learn from First John chapter 2? What did he do? He poured out his wrath. Propitiation means appeasing, turning aside God's wrath. His wrath was deserved... On us, wasn't it? We deserve it. If we think of how the nature of sin, the nature of uh, the denials that we showed in our hearts, and maybe still do, and yet we think of this God that Dave spoke about, this almighty God, this creator of these dimensions that we don't even know of. It shouldn't come as no surprise that he would be wrathful against sinners. But due to his viewing us in love, what did he do? He, he punished his son. He punished his one and only son. In the perfect life that Christ lived, 
that we need was given to us as a gift. That's the gospel message. Believe deep down in your hearts now that you're forgiven based on your faith in Christ, based on what Christ did on the cross for you. So I don't think God was indifferent emotionally in his love for us. Viewing us in Christ and loving his son the way he did, I can't believe he went, yuck, but I'll save you anyway. I don't think he did that. I think that in Christ, this is God so loved us in a, in a specific way, he loved us and poured out his love on us. Now to the second main concept. What are some of the consequences or the effects of this love, of God's love in our lives? Number one, being born again or claiming to be born again implies our loving others. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God's great love toward us is the source, the very source of our love and our warmth in our passion to meet the needs of others. It's the very source of it. It shows itself in helping to meet the needs of others. Those who are born again will love others. Being born again, having the seed of the Spirit, having the seed of Almighty God abiding in us, that is the source of the love we want to show each other. God initiated this love for us by sending Christ to remove the guilt of our sin and his own wrath. Guilt and God's wrath due to sin was a great impediment to our joy. I suspect, though, perhaps our neighbors who or friends, family, who don't love Christ, who don't follow him, who don't have allegiance to him, they don't understand that right now the wrath of God is against them. Perhaps their lives are going well. They're comfortable. But the Bible says that those who are not in Christ, the wrath of God is abiding, remaining on them. It's a great impediment to our joy, and it was. And if it's a great impediment to the true joy, the true purposeful life of those who we love who are not in Christ, what might this love do in our hearts? to talk to them. I'm speaking very generally now. There's a lot of difficult circumstances. It's hard to sometimes say the right thing at the right time and have it come across the right way. We're speaking very generally. And we do need God's wisdom in the moment, knowing what to say and how to say it. But this should stir us up. Will unbelievers hear of this love from us? God's the source of it. He's implanted it. In us, we claim to be born again. Will they hear it from us? Maybe. Do we view people properly? If we think of it, do we make excuses? Do we have anything in our minds about person A says, I just can't share the gospel with them. I can't share that love that's right now inside of me as a gift. That's stinging to me. That's stinging to me. If we claim to be alive in Christ, we will love others, even though imperfectly. New creatures in Christ, new creatures in Christ, new creatures in Christ, which is what we are, will love. It's not a matter of if. Being born again 
will cause you to love because this source, this seed of love, is abiding in you now. Another effect of God's love is in humbling us. God is the source of love. We can't look to our own resources to fulfill that first fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Again, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. This should take away all boasting. When we see God loving through us, we should praise him to his name. So how do we fan this flame of love, this gift of love that is already abiding in us? So remember, the first part of, I think, loving, or one of the first parts, loving others, is believing now that this love is in you. God's love, through his spirit, through the very union with the Father, is in you now. How do we fan it? How do we fan this love? A few things come to mind. I'm sure many others. I think of prayer. I think of study. I think the gathering of God's people. As we plead with God, what are we doing? A lot of times we're pleading with God over the word. We're studying. Uh, perhaps we're studying the passage that Dave um, spoke about, or First John, or the... Uh, Great repentance of David in Psalm 51. Maybe you're studying that and you're broken over that. There's some aspect of your sin. You're pleading with him. You're pleading with him, Father, help me to see my sin. Help me to see the beauty of the forgiveness. And where I'm blind, bring someone else into my life that can show me your love and your mercy. I believe those are three ways. Prayer, study, and fellowship is just common things that we need if we're to enjoy the gospel, really enjoy being saved. Enjoy this peace and the warmth and the love that God has for us. And then moving on and freely giving to others. If we don't love others in a way similar to God, we might be saying we deserve his grace. As we focus on God, we become like him. We've seen that. You become like what you behold. As we see the glory of God in the gospel, as we focus, and I encourage you to think of some type of mental image. Picture your sin placed on God, his righteousness on you. Picture it, all of that sin and all of its evil, knowing that it was punished on Christ. Go through that motion. Don't just play light with sin. Be specific in your own heart. You cannot hide from God. He knows your sins. Be specific about it. Think, and then think of the absolute mercy and love of God, forgiving you for those things and punishing his son in your place. I believe we need each other for this. We talk about community a lot we, in some previous Sunday school classes before we cut off for the summer. We kind of talked about this. Are we being vulnerable and transparent with each other? How will you know if I'm not enjoying the gospel, if I'm not enjoying my Christian walk, which I should? I should enjoy it, despite the fact that we fight sin. That's painful, yes, right? That is painful. That's hard to know you still have rem remaining sin there. It's painful to know that you sinned against your spouse for the fifth time that day or whatever. But don't we need each other when we despair? The gospel is meant to sanctify us, and we need each other. We really do, pointing each other to the mercy and love, that warmth that's found in Christ. Another effect 
God's love obligates us to love others. Union with God and abiding in his love implies our obligation to love others. You remember Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the Jews, both to barbarians and slaves. Why was he saying that? I believe he was saying it in part because he was saved by grace, complete grace. He's under obligation. We have been given a precious treasure, forgiveness, and abiding, a seed, if you will, a seed of Almighty God. We are under obligation to share with others. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in verse 20 to 21, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love, love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. God initiated our forgiveness. God initiated us in us, in our lives, eternal life in Christ. If we don't love others in a way similar to God, again, we might be saying we deserve grace. We receive love by grace and must act like the Father that we're united to. That's something I take out of this. It's kind of a sobering thought that the Father, Almighty God, whom we're united to, by the Spirit, as close as possible. I, I, I can't grasp in my mind union with Christ. I can only come up with mental images. It's a mystery. It's a real mystery to me. The closest thing I come up to with, and this is probably will have a bunch of false analogies in it, but water in a sponge. Somehow there's some, there's some immersion of water within a sponge, and it's one is not the one without the other. Somehow, I, I'm grasping at something here, but this is true. We are united to the Father by the Spirit, spiritually, right? We are united to the Father. Will we act like this Father who is now indwelling us? Will we believe that he's indwelling us and that he's the source of love? And we will say, my Father, you are here. Like Dave said, he's here beside us. Will you love this person through me now? You are here. Let's struggle to believe these truths. Will we be self-sacrificing? Will we commit time to building relationships with both Christians and non-Christians? Are we willing to overcome biases and wrong thinking? I, have, I could probably make a list of things here. Things that are hindering me, that are sinful hindrances to not speaking a peaceful word or perhaps avoiding someone when I know it might be tough might be a difficult conversation because the last conversation didn't go well with this person and so I'm reluctant now to touch or to show warmth. I'm calling myself to this as much as ex really exhorting everyone here to think, think hard about how we might be limiting our love to others. What biases, preconceived notions, hang-ups, you name it, we all got them. We all have them. What are they? Do we make excuses for not having a difficult conversation? I pray that it will never be. I pray that the love and mercy of God will so overwhelm us with our forgiveness 
in knowing that we are forgiven in Christ. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God loves us. We can say anything in difficult circumstances. That seed, that, that seed of God, the seed of Almighty God's love in us, she can drive us forward to love in difficult situations. So use that renewed mind that was given to us to think hard. Meditate daily on the love of God and his love for you. Another effect. God glorifies himself in people seeing him when he loves through us. I read this verse last year. I had been reading through 1 John for quite a while before Pastor Charlie decided to preach through it. And I shared, I thought it was kind of maybe not right thoughts about 1 John 4.12, but it blew me away. It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. To me, that was just an odd verse. It starts off, no one's seen God at any time. And then it goes on, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And I, and I think what this text was saying at the time and what I think is now is, when we love others, they see God. If it is true, I'm not saying we're God, obviously, that's blasphemy, but when we love others due to that source of love, that seed of God abiding in us, they are, in a sense, seeing God. Look at Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way. Let your love shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We don't get the glory. It's not coming from us. But that's, that's just amazing to me. When you do the hard thing and you grit your teeth and you go and help someone or have a difficult conversation and you're going by faith knowing that the Father will give me what I need to say when I need to say it, though it's difficult. When you do that, this person, be it a friend or an enemy, is seeing God in some sense. You must say, glory to God. I pray that the help you receive from me, the touch, the warmth you receive from me, that you would praise Almighty God for that. Because it's His seed that abides in my heart and you get the benefit from it. Nothing we do, praise God, it's all due to the glory of God, to glorify his name. So think of that. When we keep quiet, when we don't say we're robbing God of glory, when we don't touch, when we know a person has been through a difficult time, but we just don't like maybe difficult situations. When we touch, you give the warm touch. Don't be surprised if that person is very taken by that, very affected by that. Why? It's Almighty God. It's God working through you, doing the works of Christ. So how do we foster and strengthen our experience of this abiding in God? And look, and this abiding is a funny word to me too. And I just take it to mean this really close, this inward, personal, enduring communion we have with God. So when you hear abiding, again, this is this Union with God, union with Christ, imagery. But this is enduring, abiding. How do we foster this? How do we take this fact? Because the Bible tells us that God abides in us and we in him. How do we take this fact and have it affect us? Well, Ephesians three fourteen to 17, I think, gives us a hint. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to to be strengthened with power through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, in his inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, and then it goes on. But I see this, that as we believe, as we believe the truths of Christ, as we believe of this fact of God's abiding, we feel this inwardness. We, I, I really believe it. When I've had my best times with God is when I felt and I've believed, when I've actively believed that this is true and it's true for me and it's true for every one of you here that are calling on the name of Christ today. It's true for you that he abides in you. Will you believe it? Will you feel the warmth of that? I believe that we're meant to feel it. We're meant to feel God's presence. This is not supposed to be a mechanical thing, this Christianity. This should be a very warm, warm thing. Yes, a fighting of sin. Yes, a hatred of sin. And fighting evil and fighting false teachers like you learned last week. Yes, we had to rise up and do that. But will we think of this truth and allow it to affect us? We need each other for this, consistently pointing each other to our union with the Father. So the next time someone is having a difficult day, or they've been having difficult time getting in the Word, they're feeling distant from God, point them to the seed. Point them to the, the seed of the Spirit that is residing in them now. Tell them. You may not believe it, but it's there now. Will you enjoy it? Will you enjoy the fact that you are united to the Father now? That your sins are forgiven in Christ? And will this, in the enjoyment of it, spur you on to love? Final item, final consequence of God's love is that we have confidence at the judgment. Note verses 16 through 18 of 1 John 4. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence at the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. That was a tongue twister for me when I was reading through that. I just believe it means this. When we approach God, I can't even, I don't know how I can say that. We're told to approach the throne of grace in Christ. But someday we will give an account at the judgment for our lives. And I'm praying that if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, you will remember that the thing that you complete, you complete before the Father is the very seed he planted in your heart. He gave you His Spirit, He gave you eternal life in Christ as a gift. And you say, Father, there's nothing I've done. If you look closely in my heart, you will see what you planted there. It's all to your glory. It's all to your glory. Christ died for my sins to His glory. He bore my wrath that I deserved to His glory. You gave me new life. It's all to you, Father. That's why I can plead now. I can come before you without fear. Yes, reverence. 
but not fear of wrath. A loving relationship with our Father is not consistent with the life of fear of wrath. Of course, my faith, and I'm sure everyone here's faith is not perfect. I fear God, I'm sure, in an ungodly ways at time. I suspect it could be from a little bit of works righteousness remaining in me, believing that he will just accept me more if I am just more patient, just getting over this impatience that I show. Maybe he'll just accept me more. Or maybe, boy, I've had a good couple of weeks. I'm just feeling like God loves me more. These are wrong responses. I know I can hear a lot of people in their hearts, if not saying out loud, amen, I've been there and I know that. We live like that. It's rooted in us to live before God and want to bring something that he will accept. All we can bring is our depravity and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. All we can bring is Christ. That's all we can do. That's all we can plead before the Father. So when our faith is weak and we're not resting and trusting in him, tell a brother or sister, I'm having a hard time. I'm not enjoying this peace. I'm feeling fearful of God because I can't overcome this sin. We went through a study uh, with Steve Cruz in this, this last um, spring talking about this righteousness that we receive as a gift from Almighty God. This righteousness that we need to be forgiven. You need to be perfect to get into heaven. And you need your sins forgiven. It's true. Christ is a perfect law keeper. Think of it. He was the perfect law keeper. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So God says, I can pardon you based on the perfection of Christ. That's why we can come before Father at the judgment and say, you desire perfection and your son accomplished that for me. He fulfilled the law that I could never do. And when I failed, even once, he bore my wrath. So, Father, please forgive me. So, again, this abiding in God, this God abiding in us, we should have confidence at the judgment. So we, have a, we, we look for an, over a number of things, number of consequences of the sin. This is just this one passage, uh, consequences of love, forgive me, uh, of this one passage. Go over it again. Slow down. First John is difficult to read because there is so much repetition. So many things said in the same way but slightly different. And I'm thinking, is this really any different than chapter 2 verse? Well, there's a reason why God wrote through First John, through the Apostle John, the way he did. We went back there 2,000 years ago to know specifically in all the gory detail what these false teachers were doing. God saw it fit to write the way he did. And a second reason that we're relatively dense, aren't we? We still have remnant of sin. We need to be reminded that Almighty God abides in us. That love is the source of our love to others. So just a couple of practical matters and we'll be done. And I don't have any answers on these practical matters. I just want to bring up some categories. So, we, so having this intense, warm regard and being truly dear to God and and to others, maybe it's just a way to look at love, a dearness, a warmth. And when we lack that warmth, maybe an, an alarm should go off in us. I don't feel warm to my brothers and sisters. 
we should, that should concern us. We should think hard about that. Same thing with God. So given that's just an, our way to look at love, that love should lead to action. And we talk very generally, okay, go off in love, be warm and dear. But it's hard, isn't it? I came up with a couple of non-obvious situations where I need all the wisdom I can get. I have no idea sometimes how to parent. I think about being a parent, and my children are supposed to see 1 John 4, 12. They're supposed to see God, God's love through their dad. And I'm so ignorant. I mean, I, I, I see and I try and... I, I try to understand my kids. I try to see what does it mean to love in this situation here, this interaction, and how does my sin play into all of this, and how I don't feel like loving right now because I'm really irritated. Right? Who has not felt that here? I don't know what to do. I need the wisdom. I need us to be in groups together and to gather. This community group idea, I'm really hoping to learn a lot as we gather and we provoke each other in a good way to think, p- applying this wisdom, applying the seed of God's love in wise, wise ways. Parenting is one. How about family who are not Christians and those who are but are not warm and dear to you? You have family that are not Christians. Maybe you get along with them, maybe you don't. Non-Christians, we're supposed to share the love. We're obligated, I think we learned. How do you do that? Especially if they're difficult. Especially if they try to manipulate you. Not easy answers. We have resources in Christ. We know that while being reviled, Christ didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We entrust ourselves to God in those situations. When we are at wit's end, and we're being reviled, say... And we don't know how to have warmth and a dear regard to these people. Let's peacefully trust God. Even that, I, I struggle because these are difficult times. Unfortunately, my tendency sometimes is wanted to get back. <laughs> it's not the right tendency. It's not the right tendency. How about disagreement in the church as one, one final one? We will have disagreements. We will have disagreements next week next month, next year. The community groups are going to be kicking off. What is that going to look like? Who knows? Is God calling us to a new way to gather, a new way to share the love of Christ? We hope so. The elders believe that given the way our culture is and um, how we're organized, it might be a good way to do it. What happens when things don't go according to plan? Are we going to be thin-skinned? Are we going to allow something to rob us of the truth, of the commonality that we have all in Christ? This seed. If we allow petty disagreements to distract us, what are we saying about the truth of these last 35 or so minutes? The truth of the king of the universe abiding in everyone whom we're now disagreeing with and maybe even being petty with. Now, I have not seen that here. I'm thankful to Almighty God. But if we are not on guard, if we allow roots of bitterness to come up, we'll not only sin against each other, 
But we will have shown that for those instances, we have forgotten this truth, the source of divine love coming through us. We've forgotten that we are united to the Savior. Isn't that a more important truth to fight over? Will we not want to see false teachers banished from here if they deny that truth? So let's think about this. Let's think about the love and mercy of God, His warmth and dearness to us, shown in Christ, shown in redemption, something we didn't deserve. And then let that love, it is the source of all these other things. No fear at judgment. No fear at judgment. It's the source of our obligation to love others. And a most profound thing to me, when we love others, they see, in a sense, God, even though we are imperfect. God will get the glory if we speak and if we love, even when it's difficult. So a very simple and final plea. Focus on the love of God in Christ. See how dear and warm he is to you. Let this truth drive you on to love Christ with all your being and those God brings to you. Greg Chafin often points out, he says, we have these divine appointments. These appointments that people come for a specific reason. We don't know what they're there. Do we pay attention to those? Do we think those are just incidental contacts? Oh, I just met this person at Super America, had a brief conversation at the pump. Really? I think if Greg was here, he would say, uh-uh. He'd say, no, you have no idea what that could have meant. So let's just be so captivated with that mercy, that seed that abides in us, that we will go on to love others. Satan will not have his sway in this church if we concentrate on the mighty things of God and this truth of God's seed, his love, his mercy abiding in us. Let's pray. Father, I think of so much that probably should have been said. I don't feel capable to say anything. I don't feel capable to say what I did say. Lord, so I pray that what was said was from you. I pray to be corrected if needed. And I pray, Father, above all, that your glory would shine forth, shine forth in all its brilliance as the self-sacrificing and humble and intense and warm love comes through us from you to meet the needs of other people, even in difficult circumstances. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for those who don't know Christ who are sitting here, that they might know in the next few minutes his love is for them for the very first time, that they might simply acknowledge their sin before him and say, Father, Lord Jesus, I throw myself at your mercy. You're my only hope. Please forgive me. I pray that for those who don't believe now, and then they too will know the abiding sense of your love, that you will come and dwell in their hearts by faith, and they will move on for your glory and their joy to love and good needs. And we praise your name, Father. We praise you that you created this place. So bless us, Father. Bless us with a deepening love for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.